Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Inside Sports is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Howard David Live. Happy to welcome in from CBS Sports, Clark Judge. Uh, Tonight, Thursday Night Football's got Giants and Eagles. And on the surface, you'd say to yourself, well, you know, they're in the NFC at least which has got to be called that right now because they're just it's not a very good division top to bottom. But I can remember, Clark, and it's not that long ago that the Eagles won the NFC Championship, and I think that was like 2000, I want to say 17. Yeah, right. And then before that, the Giants in 2011 when Tom Coughlin was still coaching – so in the last 20 years, the NFC champion has come out of the NFC East five times. Considering the history of Philadelphia, Washington, uh, uh, Dallas, and New York, that's not really very much. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, and you, you were being kind when you said it's not a very good division. It's the worst division in football now. Um, the only reason somebody won last week in that division was because two division teams played themselves, and that, that's... How um, you get a win in this league, but um, it's it's hard to fathom how rapidly it's descended. But in the Eagles instance, injuries galore have contributed to what's going on with them. That should be a better team. With Dallas, of course, we know they've lost their quarterback. But what's going on defensively? Uh, they, they couldn't stop anything. I mean, they really couldn't stop a cold. They, they're they're so porous that at this juncture, you got to wonder how do they outscore themselves, I'm talking about the offense, and they can't. I mean, Dak Prescott tried. He was at a record-breaking performance, but he's gone for the season now. Can Andy Dalton do that? And the answer is no. I think you saw what happened on Monday night. So, um, yeah, the, the division's not very good. In fact, it stinks. And there's no hope other than you are going to crown some division champions. So it doesn't make any difference whether you're 6-10 and 10 or 7-9. and nine. If you win that division, you go on the playoffs. I think you're kind of being kind of hard, uh, kind, saying seven and nine. I don't know that anybody's going to get to seven wins. Yeah, I don't either. I, I, I don't either. And I think seven and nine may be what it ends up being. And if that's the case, fine. And it's going to call, cause a lot of people, again, to call up a playoff seeding and that sort of thing. But I remember in 2010, Howard, when Seattle won its division at seven and nine and people right. were up in arms. They shouldn't be in the playoffs. You know, they're, they're, so what they won the division, they should be in the playoffs. Well, to me, if you win a division, it should count for something. And I, I am old school in that, and I know others such as Tony Dungy believe the same thing. And I do too. Is if you win the division, it should count for something because that's one of the initial goals when teams go into camp. You win the division, all right? Then we win the conference, and then we win the Super Bowl. But you win the division first. And if you win it at 7-9, fine. If Seattle won in 2010 at 7-9, and now they've got to play the defending Super Bowl champions, oh, the New Orleans Saints. Right. They beat them. They beat them, all right? So they proved they were playoff worthy. And I had to laugh at that. People say they don't belong in the playoffs. Guess what? They just beat the Super Bowl champions in the first round. 
Uh, get back to Dallas, and you talked about the woeful defense, uh, it, but let's take it a step further. The offensive line, which used to be their calling card, is is beaten up quite a bit, and they're not very good. Well, they've, they've had subtractions. I mean, Travis Frederick's no longer playing. Um, left tackle's gone. Right guard. Um, Zach Martin last week got hurt. You don't lose people like that and, and not suffer the consequences. That's the beginning. And on the defensive side, they had free agent losses. Um, they had injuries. And suddenly you're looking at a depleted roster with marquee stars at skilled positions. You know, Zeke Elliott, CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper. You go down the list. Um, but what's happened is that it's, it's just so out of balance because you've got these marquee players at skilled positions, but the positions are really count. The offensive line, for instance, you're not getting much play there because you've got to play backups. Um, stars are hurt. Smith's gone for the season, I think, and then Martin's, I'm not sure what his situation is, but you're, you're, in, you're in a tough position at the offensive line, and that is where they began their success in the mid-2000s um, when they had uh, Tony Roma going back there because they built the offensive line. It was very good, and then they got a running game that was very good, and suddenly they were protecting Romo, and the running game was good, and, and man, all of a sudden they're going to the playoffs, and they're really, really very... Uh, they're an outstanding team, and, and you'd realize that they got it right because they were moving the ball um, with a balanced offense, and they had a defense that was good enough, at least good enough, to, to, to get them far. But they didn't go far in the playoffs and they were beaten by Green Bay. But in any case, um, they've continued that until the beginning of the season. You look at it, it's so out of whack because the defense, the shortcomings are so pronounced that they're giving up tons of points, falling behind by huge margins, forcing the team to pass. Zeke is no longer carrying the ball, and, and, and now you've got Dak Prescott throwing for billions of yards, and suddenly he gets hurt. And now Zeke can't hold on to the football, so you've got fires everywhere to put out. It's a bad situation. I don't know that's going to get any better in the short term, Howard. I will say they've got so many playmakers that you would think they'd be able to put more than 10 points up on the board. But let's see what happens. We, we're talking about this as if this team is dead and buried, right? Yeah. Well, the good news for them is they play Washington, who's worse than they are by far. Yeah, that's uh, right. That's right. Uh, so if the Eagles win, it puts them in a virtual tie with Dallas for the top spot. If the Giants win, uh, they jump into second place in the division. Look, I, look, if I was to look for a bright spot at the end of the rainbow for the division, I, I think the look, Carson Wentz has had his moments, good and bad. But the last game I saw of Carson Wentz, I, I kind of like what I saw, and, and I'm not as down on the Eagles as I am on the Giants. And even, look, Daniel Jones, uh, he, he's had a lot of guys that are missing uh, over the course of time. Obviously, Saquon Barkley's out for the year. That's a big loss. And it seems like every team in this division has suffered that kind of a, of a loss. Uh, you mentioned uh, Ezekiel Elliott, two fumbles last week. They had a sideline shot of Mike McCarthy after the second turnover. It was, he looked like a deer in the headlights. Like, I didn't sign up for this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. That's the stuff that veteran coaches, veteran coaches who had success, success can't tolerate. You, have, you do that on the New England Patriots, and Bill Belichick puts you on the bench. You're sitting there because you can't tolerate mistakes. And the Patriots annually are among the leaders, if not the leader, in the takeaway turnover. Uh, ratio and, and they don't commit a lot of turnovers. They didn't when Don Brady was there. Let's see what happens this year. But that's 
the uh, turnover ratio uh, tables, and the top teams are your top teams in football. Sure. So you, the fewer mistakes you make, and the more takeaways you create, it figures that you're going to get more chances, and probably your chances for winning are elevated. And that's exactly what's happened. You've got you know, Green Bay and Seattle up there, the Pittsburghs up there. Pittsburgh's got 24 sacks to lead the league. Um, so th- th- it's not it's not real difficult to figure out this game. And and so when you've got a team like Dallas, which has lost its marquee quarterback, and the offensive line's not very good, and the running back is fumbling the ball, you don't have much of a chance unless you've got a lights out defense. They've got the exact opposite. So that's why people are up in arms about the Cowboys. That said, they're in division, where as you mentioned, six and ten could win. But I'm with you on Philadelphia. I think Philadelphia ends up winning this division just because they're going to get healthier. And the quarterback, you can say what you want about him. He's turned the ball over a lot, but he's had to um, in a number of instances because he's playing from behind. And he's one of the most courageous guys out there. You can say a lot about Carson Wentz, but don't tell me he's not courageous and a tough, gritty guy. He's fought back in almost all these games and brought them back. So they're competitive. They go to overtime. I mean, he's done whatever he can in the second half. The problem is the first half, they're not doing a whole lot of anything. So we'll see. Now, he's getting Lane Johnson back. He's getting uh, Deshaun Jackson back. Slowly but surely, some of these guys are coming back. Let's see how the Eagles fare. But I just look at that lineup and I say, of the four, there's not a strong team. There's not even a, a, a reasonably strong team there. But if you were to choose one, who would you like to the finish line? I'm going with Philadelphia. Yeah, I'm with you. He's Clark Judge of CBS Sports. So which was more of a surprise to you? The fact, not that Dallas lost last week, but they got blown out by Arizona 38-10. to Was that more of a surprise to you, the score? Or were you more surprised about what Tampa Bay did to Green Bay? Yeah, the Tampa Bay game is the one that surprised me more. I, I thought Tampa could win it. I mean, anytime you have Tom Brady, you can beat anybody out there. I wasn't sure, based on what I'd seen the week before in Chicago, that that was going to happen. And to me, as a real measure of Green Bay, what is Green Bay going to do on the road? And the minute they jump up 10 nothing, I thought, okay, this is playing out kind of the way I thought it would. Now let's see what Brady does. And he didn't have to do a whole lot. I mean, you get the pick six, and then the other interceptions return to the two, I think. And suddenly, they're up 14-10. The thing that surprised me, Howard, was what Tampa's defense did to Aaron Rodgers, and then eventually Rodgers just shut it down. Mm. They put 38 straight points on them, and they never moved off for 10. I'm talking about Green Bay. Sacked him four times, intercepted him twice. He had been intercepted in the first five games this year, and, and um, you, you look at that and think, holy smokes, well, you know, what's going on here are the first four games, I guess it was. Um, and what was going on was Tampa showing you what it's capable of. Now, I don't know if that defense is that good, but they looked like a lights-out defense last weekend against a guy we would have said a quarter way through the season is one of your MVP contenders. Clearly is one of the guys, Russell Wilson, um, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I would throw Derrick Henry in there as well. But those are the guys you'd be looking at. And suddenly Aaron Rodgers looked pretty human. I mean, he looked like uh, just an ordinary quarterback there who couldn't wait to get out of Tampa. So that's the game that really shocked me. To put 38 straight on them and no response from Rodgers in that offense, uh, it it's, um, might be a positive for Green Bay to have a get-well game, and I think they've got one this week against Houston. And Houston, I mean, they've already gone through a coaching change, and I've, I've said from day one that Bill O'Brien, the general manager, uh, stuck Bill O'Brien, the coach, in the back when he traded DeAndre Hopkins. I, I don't know what the issue was there. I mean, it's a, if it's a money issue, if they didn't get along, whatever, you can't 
trade a top one, two, three wide receiver in this league. He's leading the league in receiving. <laughs> I, I mean, know he is. I know. But that's no surprise to people no, who are critical of it. They no. Said, you know, like you just said, he's an elite receiver. You can't make that move, especially when you've got someone like Deshaun Watson as your quarterback. So who are you going to replace him with? Brandon Cooks? I, I don't think so. Yeah. And, and so this is going to be a test for Arizona this week. they got Seattle coming to town. And, and Seattle uh, is probably the best team in the NFC. And you, you mentioned Russell Wilson. 19 touchdowns, three interceptions. <laughs> I mean, he's a league MVP right now. You, you look for them to go a long way. But a marquee game this week is Pittsburgh-Tennessee. Yes, yes. And what's interesting about this, I mean, Tennessee's losing one of their tackles, and it's a big ta- It's a big miss. Uh, and they're going up against a Pittsburgh team that has arguably the best defense in the league. They're the stingiest team in the league. They give up 12 points a game. But that's, that's going to be a war. I, 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 look, Ben Roethlisberger, can he – can he throw the deep ball like he used to? Maybe not. But he's got this Chase Chase Claypool that adds to Juju Smith-Schuster. You got yourself a hell of a tandem there. Who's the guy that alerted me to Chase Claypool? You. Yes. You. Yes. You were in love with him from the very beginning. Yes. You're absolutely right. He's got a cadre of outstanding receivers. James Conner can push the ball. Their defense is making a lot of big plays, especially with the sack they lead the league. That's a balanced team, and as long as they've got Ben Roethlisberger, and that's a big as long as, as long as they have him, they can go as far as possible to me. At the beginning of the season, someone asked me about Kansas City, who's going to push Kansas City. I said, I think Buffalo could, and the team that, the two teams I've watched, one is Tennessee, because they won the conference championship game a year ago, but I said, Pittsburgh, if Roethlisberger is back and healthy, 
he's a really good receiver. They got James Washington. I mean, they've got a lot of targets there. Eric Ebron is a tight end. They've got a ton of really good players. Vance McDonald. I mean, I love to watch the Steelers play. And I'm hoping, because I'm old school, I'm hoping this is like a Pittsburgh Baltimore game more, where you've got that defensive struggle. So it's 14 10 or it's 17 14, whatever. Those are great games to me. I, I don't want to see a tennis match where it's back and forth or attract me. Um, so it's 45, you know, 37. I, I, those don't interest me. They interest people playing fantasy football, not me. I, I really would like to see an old school game here. And you might get one. But to me, you're going to find out right now who's the team that's the biggest threat to Kansas City this point into the season. We're not quite halfway through, but we're getting close. Who's Kansas City's cheapest competitor, the, the, the closest competitor? And uh, is it Pittsburgh? They're unbeaten. Is it Tennessee? They're unbeaten. People tell me Tennessee's the best team in the AFC. I, I don't know. I still think Kansas City's the best team in the AFC, but I like Pittsburgh a lot. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't disagree. And, and Ryan Tannehill's having another strong year. Uh, yeah. And it, you look, there's a list of AFC quarterbacks that are just so dominant in terms of touchdown passes and very few interceptions, and Tannehill's one of those. 13 touchdowns, two interceptions. And look, Belichick has always said for 100 years, you take away the other team's best attack weapon. And in this case, Pittsburgh's got to try to neutralize Derrick Henry, who's leading the league in rushing. And it might be easier said than done. It is. I mean, the guy is huge. Um, so how do you get in the way of somebody who's coming that strongly? And he's very strong. But he's fast. He ran away from What I appreciate about watching, and I, and I appreciate talent, not only is it Derrick Henry a good football player, but he looks like it, there's some similarity to Jim Brown from this standpoint. Jim Brown would get hit, knocked down, look like he was dead. He'd get up the next play and burn you for 40 yards. Derrick Henry, when he hits the hole, he hits it with a lot of ferociousness, but he gets into a second gear, and you're not going to catch him. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, you mentioned uh, Miami's one-time head coach. Whatever happened to that guy? Oh, Adam Gase? Yeah, whatever happened to him? No, I'm being facetious, obviously. I mean, Adam Gase, look, you're in New York, right? Yeah. You read the New York papers, you see the headlines, everybody wants Adam Gase fired. And I was against that two weeks ago. I said, what do you accomplish by firing a coach now? What are you going to do, put Greg Williams in charge? His defense is not exactly lighting it up, but he would probably be the next guy, I think. But let me put this on you. I don't think there's any way you don't fire him now. And I I think it comes from the top. Christopher Johnson's got to make that decision to make an announcement to his fans and to his sponsors that we understand we got a problem. We're going to fix it next year. But for right now, we got to turn the noise down. It's just too deafening. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I'm not sure what can be accomplished by firing him now. The team is terrible. There's not much talent there. But I think in the best interest of everything and everyone, you have to make that move because we talked about teams with a pulse. This one has none, and it hasn't for weeks. They're just going nowhere. They're one of the worst football teams I've ever seen, Howard, and I think you and I go back a long way. I've seen, I covered a winless football team in 1982. I covered the Baltimore Colts. They were always one in that strike short of the season. Um, I, I saw the Lions in 2008, the, the mm. uh, Browns in 2017. This team has no upside because right now, especially, no Sam Darnold, so you're not looking at anything it's going to get better. You were looking at Sam Darnold at one point, but you know he he just wasn't getting there. He didn't have playmakers around him. Who's your star running back? It's Frank Gore, who's 37 years old. That's your – I mean, come on. That's the best you can do when you see now there's a fire sale. They're dumping guys left and right. So to me, what they're saying to you is we're going to just be as bad as we can be. We're going to tank forever. That's basically what they're doing. Trevor Lawrence now, is he going to – is he going to go there if they draft him and when they draft him because the, the Jets will have the number one draft pick? Um, I don't know that. But it just seems now like they've given up on the year. And that's kind of what message does that send to fans because they're unwatchable. You can't watch that team. And they got shut out last week by Miami. And listen, um, the, the Brian Flores is doing a nice job down there. I like what's going on with Miami. Um, I think he's, he is going to be a pretty good coach. That said, you got shut out by the Dolphins? Come on. You've got to do better than that and, and and you can't not with that talent and they don't have any that's the problem and Adam Gates you know, I kind of wonder where he got his reputation and where he got it was in Denver but he wasn't the offensive coordinator in Denver I know he wasn't named Peyton Manning was Peyton Manning was the offensive coordinator so um, I, I don't know why the Jets went out and got him after he, he fizzled in Miami but they did and they're suffering the consequences I'm with you I just think in, in the interest of everyone you have to you have to make a move here to tell the fans, we we feel your pain. He's gone. But right, Greg Williams ain't going to be the, the uh, head coach. You saw what he said last week, and he caused a stir within the organization. And I, I, honestly, Adam Gates is right. He said, shut up and play. He's absolutely right. Enough of this. Let's go out and make some plays. But, um, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, Adam Gates, he should, he should be camp. He should be camp. Yeah, who's the assistant head coach? His name escapes me right now. All right, well, I'll, I'll look it up. Uh, it's not terribly important. Look, we get down to the end of the year, and they get the number one pick in the draft. You remember Peyton Manning. He, he When Parcells was coaching the Jets, Archie Manning did not want his son playing for Parcells for whatever the reason. So, we did, so he stayed in school another year. I could see Trevor Lawrence staying at Clemson if he gets drafted by the Jets. So could I. Oh, absolutely. That's why I said you know, he, he could get some advice. You don't want to go there. 
CEO, he's running the team. Woody Johnson's not. But when Woody Johnson was there, it was no different. It's a dysfunctional organization. And remember, when Eli came out, I mean, his father schooled Eli and said, you don't want to go to the Chargers. You remember, he didn't want to go to the Chargers. And he didn't because they made that deal with the Giants. And, uh, and it worked out well for him. So the, the Mannings really knew what they were doing. Let's find out if, if Trevor Lawrence gets some kind of similar advice. Maybe it's someone like you know, one of the Mannings steps in and, and tells him. But um, I, I don't know that he could turn that team around. It, they, they've got so many problems at so right. many levels that I think it, it really needs a, a tremendous overhaul. And as I said, I don't know what it is because Joe Douglas has just stepped in as the, as the GM and a lot of the draft picks that McCagden made, they're gone. And so do you keep Sam Darnold? Well, no, you wouldn't. You would probably trade him away so that Lawrence is now the guy. I, it just... It's a raft of, of issues, multi-layer, that it'll take a long time for me, to, from my vantage point, that, uh, to overcome. Let me ask you about Miami. Uh, they, they've made the announcement that Tua Tagovailoa is going to be the quarterback. Now, they have a bye week this week. They host the Rams next week. And I got the idea in, in uh, reading some articles in South Florida that Ryan Fitzpatrick seemed a little surprised that they were making yeah. this move. Uh, look, yeah. he's been around a long time. He knows the score, but I got—I share his surprise. I don't know that this is a good idea. We'll find out. I mean, yeah, he looked a little comf- comfortable in garbage time last week in the, in the last few minutes of the game. But do you do you do that now? What's your opinion? Um, I think you, I think you do it soon. I don't know about now. I wouldn't roll him out against the. Los Angeles Rams because their defense is fairly good and and it can make a quarterback, a young quarterback, look bad. Uh, I covered a team in San Francisco where they were very wary when they rolled out Jeff Garcia of the opponent because they looked at the opponent's defense and if it was porous, they thought, here's a chance for him to get some confidence. And I thought it made sense because they were good. It was 1999. They weren't going anywhere. So um, here, the, the, the point that your listeners might make is that well, the Dolphins could go somewhere. They're three and three, and who's leading that division? Buffalo mm-hmm. four and two. Mm-hmm. So they could go somewhere. But it's reminiscent to me, Howard, of um, the Giants in two thousand what four, two thousand four, when uh, Kurt Warner was the quarterback. They were five and four, and they sat him down and put Eli in. Ryan Fitzpatrick can't be surprised because when they drafted this guy, they drafted him to become the starter. And when you draft him that high in the top ten, you're gonna jump in and be the starter your first year at some point, whether it's the first half, second half. Generally, it's in the first half, and sometimes it can be the first game of the season. didn't turn out that way. So Fitzpatrick did what he was supposed to do, keep that position warm until two is ready. Well, the coaching staff has determined that he's ready. I don't go to practices. I'm not in that locker room, but they've determined we think he's ready. He needs to get out there. There is no substitute for getting out there and playing. And we saw that with Eli in his rookie year. He comes in there 5-4. and four. He doesn't win a game until the last game of the season. Remember when he went to Baltimore? He was awful. He had a Blutarski rating. He was a 0.0. He, had a, he was awful. <laughs> and yet their whole point was he's going to get better. He needs to play. And they're absolutely right. And with Tua, if you think that he's healthy and he got through last week's game, they obviously saw something they liked there. Let's roll him out because at some point, he's got to get out there and play. And you look at someone like Justin Herbert, who was taken by uh, the Chargers with a sixth pick, and he played only out of necessity because of what happened to Tyrod Taylor uh, before the game. So he played, and lo and behold, they found that 
what they saw was what they thought they were getting. So he's going to be the starter for the rest of the year and maybe for the next 10 or 15 years. But with Tua, it's the same sort of thing. They feel now that he's ready to go. With Herbert, he was thrown in the, the lurch, and they liked what they saw, and they just said, he's staying. I don't care what they told you about Tyrod Taylor. I hear, you know, the head coach was upset that he had to talk to Tyrod Taylor. I'm sure he was. But everyone knows the score. <laughs> Justin Herbert was drafted with the sixth pick overall to start this year at some point. Well, he demonstrated he could play. He took the Chiefs to overtime, took a 300-yard games against several opponents. He's ready to go. Two was ready to go in the eyes of Miami's uh, coaching staff. So Brian Fitzpatrick did a heck of a job, but he was there only to keep that position warm until two was ready. Let me ask you this before I let you go. Uh, Tampa Bay plays in Las Vegas this weekend, but Las Vegas reportedly, uh, their whole offensive line is hardly practiced this week, if at all, uh, for a variety of reasons. Now you got Tampa Bay going in there, and look, the Bucks are playing pretty good football right now, coming off a blowout win over Green Bay. Uh, I, I thought Las Vegas, you know, might challenge for a playoff spot. Now I'm not. I'm just not firm with that prediction. Well, I'm not sure what to make of them because when they went two and two, they, they won the first two and then lost the next two. I thought that's who they are. I mean, they're, they're nothing more to me than a 500 team. Then they beat Kansas City in Kansas City, and they rolled up a ton of points against them. Right. So I don't know who they are. This will be a chance to find out because, again, you're going against Tom Brady and a team that last week, at least, <laughs> looked like a Super Bowl-ready team. The week before, not so much. So we don't know about numbers of these teams. Tampa's one of them. I mean, they're up, they're down, they're up, they're down. They're going to be a playoff team. I know that. I think they will go deep just because of Tom Brady, because that defense is better than than most. But um, with the Raiders, I just don't know what you've got. Derek Carr, I mean, he's up one game, down the next. There's no consistency there. But they knocked off the Chiefs, and they put a lot of points on them in Kansas City. That gets your attention. And suddenly you look at the AFC, and it's wide open. I mean, Mm. I think the Chiefs are the team to beat. you got Tennessee, you got Pittsburgh, you got Buffalo. You can start going down the line. And then you, where do the Raiders figure in this? I don't know. All I know is that they beat the defending AFC West champions. Are they are they worthy of pushing Kansas City? Well, they they were for one afternoon. We'll find out a lot about the Raiders. This is more to me about the Raiders than it is about the Bucks. I know the Bucks are going to play off. The Raiders, I, don't, I just don't know. Let, let me ask you one more thing. Tampa Bay's 4-2. and two. New England is 2-3. and three. Does Belichick miss Brady? Oh, I'm sure it is. So which game are you watching uh, Sunday? Pittsburgh, Tennessee, Pittsburgh, or Buffalo? Tennessee, that's my game. Yeah, that's pu- my game I want to well, see. Well, the, the, the other option, Clark, is Buffalo and the Jets. Thanks for your time, Clark, as always, and, and stay safe. You got it, Howard. Take care. Clark, judge of CBS Sports. Okay, I'm sticking with it. I'm watching Pittsburgh, Tennessee versus the Jets and the Buffalo Bills. I'm just not doing it. You kidding me? I'd rather, I'd rather look out the window than watch Buffalo and the Jets. I'd rather go shopping with my wife than go to watch Buffalo and the Jets. Actually, I don't mind shopping with my wife. It depends. 
We're going for Lincoln, Nicola. We're going to Bed Bath and Beyond. You know, I like going to that place because there's a lot of stuff you can get. And one of the founders uh, is an old friend of mine, Lenny Feinstein. So I like to support Lenny's tremendous business. We're out of season right now, but let's get into the NBA. Forwarded to an automated voice message. Oh, Keith Pompey is uh, not there yet, so we gotta we gotta get a hold of Keith. There he is. I thought you forgot about me, Keith. I, I thought you I, I thought you forgot about me. <laughs> I can't complain. Uh, we're off season, but. There's nothing like the offseason to bring in the news. And the Philadelphia's got a new head coach in Doc Rivers. Uh, and look, I don't know what happened in L.A. Uh, there was some internal strife, I'm told. Uh, the fact of the matter is that the Clippers didn't get to where they should have gotten, and that's to the, uh, to the Western final at least. They were perceived to be the deepest team in the NBA and fell significantly short of expectations. Keith, let me ask you about, uh, I mean, for, before Doc was hired, uh, Mike D'Antoni's name was being bandied about in Philadelphia. I guess it never got serious? You mean, oh, it was, it was late. I mean, it was serious. I mean, it was, let's say, let's just say, here's my analysis. Mike D'Antoni was walking down the aisle with, with, with the Sixers, and all of a sudden, well, what happened is he was about to marry the bride, well, the bride, So now we look at Lloyd Pierce in Atlanta, J.B. Bickerstaff in Cleveland, Monty Williams in Phoenix, uh, Dwayne Casey in Detroit, Tyron Lue with the Clippers, and Doc Rivers with Philadelphia. That is one, two, three, four, five, six coaches 
six black coaches in the NBA. There's got to be some concern about that, doesn't there? Yesterday was announced that Stan Van Gundy's getting the New Orleans job. That leaves that leaves Oklahoma City and Houston uh, still to be determined. Uh, Indiana has hired a coach, uh, Nick uh, Nick Nurse's assistant, uh, Kevin uh, Bjorken. Uh, Bjorken. Yeah, I want to make sure I got his pronunciation correct. So he's a former assistant. There are a lot of, and you mentioned uh, Sam Cassell. There are. I don't, Adam Silver has made a point of saying that we're going to deal with this issue. He recognized there's an issue. It's not like the NFL, which has the Rooney rule, which is frankly a joke. Uh, it's, been, it's been a disaster. Uh, in the NBA, which is, you already mentioned the numbers, it's like 85%, 86% black players in the league. So, I mean, I don't know where the well is that you draw from. I have to assume it's assistant coaches. Juwan Howard, you know, everyone 
aren't happening for them. And that's something that, you know, yeah, people need to look into or people need to pay attention to because it comes down to a, 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 a thing where, um, you know, you, you look at it and everyone was saying, okay, you, you know, Black Lives Matter, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. We're, and then all of a sudden, you know, you get these qualified coaches and, you know, people are saying, uh, well, we don't know if he won because of his coaching ability or he won because of the talent that was on that team. Well, if you do that, you can go back to all the NBA finals and you look at the roster and you see a team and basically, I'm talking about the team that won, they had like a Hall of Famer, like either in a Hall of Fame now or they're going to be a future Hall of Famer. But what happens is, unfortunately, a lot of times with the black coach, they'll say, well, yeah, he was fortunate because of the talent. And then you hear for a white coach, they say, oh, yeah, he brought the talent out in that player. So I don't think it's fair. You know, I think that there's an unlevel playing field, there's an unlevel way that we are evaluating coaches, and it's not fair. And there are a lot of quality assistant coaches there. You know, who I believe that should get an opportunity other than just saying, okay, we're going to interview him for this job because we have to interview him. But let's see if it's going to be a real interview. Well, we're talking with Keith Pompey of the uh, Philadelphia Inquirer. Look, I have no problem with Tom Thibodeau. Uh, he's got a good resume. He's a good coach, particularly a defensive-minded coach. I have no problem with that. I'm surprised that the Knicks, or maybe they did, uh, think of sitting down with Patrick Ewing and because if anybody in this league – need some positive news, it's the Knicks. Because they've been so bad for so long, you would have thought that a young coach like Patrick Ewing could identify with the players. Now, are they playoff? Do they have some play? Are they uh, players short? Yeah, they need more talent. There's no doubt about it. But I am surprised. Maybe they gave Ewing a thought. I don't know. And Thibodeau's got a relationship with the new uh, CEO. I get that. I, I was just surprised that he he wasn't even given a listen. Yeah, yeah, that was a little surprising. Too. Now, the one thing is with Thibodeau, you know, like, again, Thibodeau has the name. Um, you know, there was, if you think back, let's, let's go back four years ago. The three hot coaches in the league were um, Greg Popovich, Doc Rivers, and Tom Thibodeau. So, you know, I think that sometimes when you look at the mix, you know, they're looking at it like, oh, well, maybe we can get kids 
only thing is, the question is, and it's not race. It's like, you know, Tibbs has a reputation of wearing guys out. Mm-hmm. You know, or, or, you know, and how is he going to, you know, how are things going to go with him in regards to, you know, practices and, and things like that with that young court. Yeah, well, I, even Mark Jackson, I was surprised, wasn't discussed because he did a really good job at Golden State, and I don't know what happened out there. I've heard all these rumors. I don't even know the truth. Let's get back to the 76ers. And here's Doc Rivers taking on a team that was a playoff team that got swept by the Boston Celtics. You got Joel Embiid, a superstar, top five, six player in the league. I, I think that's fair. Uh, ben Simmons got hurt. Uh, you got uh, you got Harris. You got Richardson. Uh, you got Milton, you got uh, Al Horford. Does Al Horford stay with this team? You know, I, if, if you, you know, I, here's the thing. I, I think if he stays with the team, it has a lot to do with his contract. With people deeming that you can't get rid of that salary. You know, I look at Al Horford. I think Al Horford is still a great player. You know, there may be some people who disagree with that. But I feel like Al Horford is still a great player in the right system. I don't think that this is the right system for him. And, and I think that it, it will benefit both sides, Al Horford and the Sixers, if Al Horford was moved. Um, the only thing is, you know, Al Horford had, what, I think he had 63 or 64 um, million guaranteed left on his, on his contract. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. I mean, he's set to make, I believe, $27.5 this year. That's a lot of money for a 34-year-old guy who, on the Sixers, his best, his best position is the backup five. You know, that's a lot of money for him. So I, I think that if you can get someone to take that contract, Al Horford's gone. But I don't know if there's a lot of teams raising their hand up to take that contract. Here's the bigger question, uh, and that's Joel Embiid. Uh, I, I watched Embiid in the Boston series, and uh, inferior big men wore him out physically, and then he really was gassed in the fourth quarter, and he sat out a lot in the fourth quarter, and, and they get swept by Boston. So I mean, if I'm talking to Embiid, and I don't know that Rivers is going to get this message across, but Embiid needs to spend a lot of time in the gym and get in better shape.
So what it is is that's telling me that people look at it and now they're labeling him as, you know what, he's a guy who has a lot of talent, but he's not in shape. He doesn't, like, they, they question his dedication to the game. So with that, someone else will, will get it because they, everybody knows that Joel Embiid is a better player, but is, can you win with him? Is he focused enough? So these are the questions that he has to answer. Let me ask you this, Keith. We're talking to Keith Pompey of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Ben Simmons missed a fair amount of time. Are he and Embiid a good fit? You know what? I think they can be. You know, right now, would you say they are now? No, not right now. Not the way this roster is constructed. Um, But I go back to not two years ago, Ben Simmons' um, rookie year, the year that he played, he got rookie of the year. What the Sixers did is they had those two guys on the floor and they had three shooters around them, right? Um, for the most part. Like they had two in the they would have two in the starting lineup, three depending on who started. And no one talked about the lack of spacing, no one talked about anything. And both guys thrived. And he made his first all star. You know, he he, he would have been um he, he made his first all star team. Um you know, everyone was raving over him how he was going to be the next great thing. Ben Simmons had was had a lot of triple doubles. He was the rookie of the year, and the future was bright. And then after that, it just seemed like they they got rid of the guys who were shooting. They got rid of Robert Covington. Um, they got rid of um, the guys who came off the bench who, who were sharpshooters. And then all of a sudden, the narrative was that these two guys can't play together. So again. I think the roster has to be right. You have to surround these guys with shooters, and then you'll see them excel. Well, you say the roster has to be right. Um, I guess Elton Brand is still making those decisions, right? Um, as far as getting people together, yeah. But yep. you, you also have to realize that I think that you know Doc Rivers is going to have a lot of say in what's going on as well. I mean, when at the press conference, he, when he was asked his input, he said, we work together. So typically when a coach says they work together with the GM, that means that the coach has a lot of say. You know, because typically they'll say, oh, I'm just here to coach the team. <laughs> so no. I think Doc is going to have a huge imprint on what, what's, you know, what, what the roster is going to look like. But again, here's the problem. We talked about Al Worker. Can you get someone to take that contract? And then you look at it where – you're going to have Tobias Harris making $34 million this year. You're going to have Ben Simmons making 30 Joel making $29. Um, and you're going to have Al Wolford making 27 You know, right there, those guys right there alone are taking up the salary cap. So it's going to be tough for them to make decisions or, or, or get people in um, based on not having money. And, yeah, they can go give guys minimum deals. But at the same point, same time, those guys making those minimum deals, are they going to be guys that you can really, you know, trust and believe in that that's going to help you elevate to the next level? Hey, Keith, let me ask let me ask you about the East because everybody says, well, the West is stronger top to bottom. Uh, I give you this. You got Milwaukee, Toronto, Boston, Indiana. Everybody saw what Miami did in the finals, so you got to take them even more seriously than you did before. And now you got to look at Brooklyn. You assume that Durant is going to come back reasonably healthy. They got Kyrie Irving. 
They got Karis LeVert. They've got Dinwiddie. They got Joe Harris. They got a new coach in Steve Nash. Uh, right now, you got to look at Brooklyn as a viable contender in the East. You do. I mean, you know, Brooklyn's up there with Milwaukee and Boston, in, in my eyes. And and you know, hey, like, hey, I just disrespected Miami. I mean, Miami did go to the finals. So yeah, you look at these teams in the East; it, it's going to be competitive. But when you look at Brooklyn. I mean, as far as the tandem, they have the top tandem, you know, in, in the East. I mean, and I don't even think it's close. I mean, they have two guys who are going to be all-stars, two guys who, you know, are, are NBA champions who have that will to win. And then you look at, like you said, Clarence LeVert and all these other guys. I mean, you know, these guys are stars um, in their own right. You know, they're stars on the team. And now they're going to be role players. So can you see what the matchup is going to be? Guys trying to guard those guys because you know Durant and um, Kyrie are going to get most of the attention, and these other guys are just going to feast. Hey Keith, let me ask you this: before the play before the playoffs started, Miami was fifth seed in the East. They start going through people, you know, like you know, like crap through a goose, and they they're beating everybody, and, and then they go to the finals, and you see Jimmy Butler. Not the guy who wants to be the high scorer in every game. He became a complete player, an all-star complete player. He got everybody involved. And this Miami team, who I think has got as good a coach as there is in the league, and Eric Spolstra, I mean, one game I remember, they had eight guys in double figures. To them, and they got all these young shooters like uh, Tyler Hero and, and Duncan Rick Robinson and, and all the rest of the guys they got on that team and Adebayo. That's a team that you better pay attention to. ask you this. Here's the scenario. I have great respect for Pat Riley. Uh, he made the transition from player to coach to general manager better than anybody else that I can remember. You sit down Giannis Antetokounmpo across the table from Pat Riley. You think Riley's letting him out of that office without a contract? <laughs> Probably not. If I'm Milwaukee, I'm, I'm, I'm like saying you can't take that. You can't make that flight. You can't make that flight. No. Oh, I think, look, Riley is very, inf he's very persuasive. He's very what? I'm, yeah, he is. I said he's very persuasive.
Let's not forget he brought LeBron James in to play with Wade and Bosch. Uh, speaking of LeBron and a postscript to the finals, LeBron's legacy needs no definition in my view. He's got four titles. He's won it with three different teams. Uh, I don't want to get into the Jordan versus LeBron debate because there is no debate. Michael was the best of his time. LeBron's the best of his time. End of story, in my opinion. Having said that, I think LeBron James' legacy is cemented for all time. And I, I don't see him. Look, he's 35 years old, but he's not your typical 35-year-old guy. You look at the body on this guy and the way he keeps in shape, he could play another three, four years. Yeah, he can. He could play another three, four years at a high level. Um, you know, LeBron, you know, the thing about LeBron is, you know, he, he, he's so durable. Um, and, and you really don't appreciate what he does until you see, it in, see him in person. You know, I remember uh, two years ago, um, his first year with the Lakers, and they came to Philly, and it was like they, they were coming off of a back-to-back. Uh, what was it, the Lakers or, or whatever it was? It was either Lakers, maybe two years or, 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 or three years ago, whatever. But they were good. the team was coming off of a back-to-back, and it was one of those things where the Sixers were up huge. And then all of a sudden, in the third quarter, it was like LeBron came to life. And literally, they ran out of time. Mm-hmm. There was like five more seconds in that game. The, um, the Lakers or the, whoever it was, Cleveland, would have won. I mean, that's how powerful and unstoppable LeBron James is. And he's the one guy who does that all the time. When he wants to take over a game, he does. Now, again, he doesn't always do it because, you know, LeBron is, kind of like that Jimmy Butler mode where he wants to get his teammates involved, you know, the flow of the game, you know, this and that. You know, he's a great player. He picks the spots. But when he's, when he's like, take charge at this stage, there's no one more dominant than LeBron James. Completely agree. Hey, Keith, appreciate your time as always. Uh, do me a favor. You go down to Pat Steak, send me a sandwich, will you? Okay, I'll definitely do. <laughs> I'll definitely do. All right, man. Stay safe. He is Keith Pompey of the Philadelphia Inquirer. <laughs> you ever been to Pat Steaks in Philly? You don't have any idea what you're missing. No idea what you're missing. I mean, I'm going to tell you what. It's, uh, I hate when I say that. I'm going to tell you what. 
So I hear announcers say that all the time. I'm going to tell you what. Okay, tell me what. I'm going to talk a little NFL football again. We started with Clark Judge. We broke away to the NBA. We're going back to the NFL. We're going to talk to uh, one of the great voices of the NFL. He is uh, Gene Deckerhoff, the voice of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. There he is, my guy, Mr. Deckerhoff. How are you, sir? Hello. Uh, you're breaking up on me. Is this Howard? Yeah, I'm sorry, Gene. You hear me okay? Yeah, yeah. You sound like you're talking on a speakerphone. Uh, okay. <laughs> but I'm talking to you, and you have great pipes. All right. Is it a problem? <laughs> you want me to call you back? No, 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 no. I can, I can hear you. I can hear you. All right. Well, we, we're going to talk to Gene because... He is uh, the voice of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for how long now? Since their inception? Uh, since 89, 32 years. My goodness. And you never get tired of it. Yeah. <laughs> you never get I tired, right? I don't get many hours of sleep, but I sleep well when I'm sleeping. I hear that. Uh, the the uh, Buccaneers come off a blowout win over Green Bay. Did that surprise you? You, you know, uh, what, what the surprise was, was that the Buccaneers played a near-perfect football game. No penalties, no sacks allowed, and uh, no turnovers. And, and, and you can't have a more perfect football game, I don't believe. And, and that, that, that was the surprise. I, I think this Buccaneer team is good. I, I, I know Green Bay is good. It was a meeting between, you know, two goats, greatest of all times, uh, Aaron Rodgers versus uh, uh, Tom Brady. And uh, this time the Buccaneers won. Who knows what happens the next time? I have a... Uh, Howard, I have a, a, a sneaking suspicion that that won't be the last time the Bucks play the Green Bay Packers this season, Joe. Yeah, it could be. could be in the postseason. We'll see. Brady did not have a big stat game necessarily. He had two touchdown passes. But Rob Gronkowski had his best game as a Buccaneer with five catches for 78 yards and a touchdown. Uh, do you think he's all the way back or he's still showing some signs of inactivity? You also got a couple of pretty fair wide receivers that can go deep. Yeah, yeah, you do. And you know what? The, the, the incredible thing is the more catches 
Gronkowski gets the fewer catches Mike Evans gets. Mike, Mike has a chance to become the first player in, in the history of the NFL to have 1,000-yard seasons seven years in a row. Not even Randy Moss had it that many years in a row. He had a six, but uh, he's not getting targeted that much because there are so many weapons on this Buccaneer football team. And uh, Mike, of course, Godwin comes back off after a hamstring injury. Mike is still not 100% healthy, I don't believe. But uh, he, he's a 100-yard receiving game. Uh, waiting to happen every time he suits up in that number 13. But, uh, yeah, you're right. We do have uh, so outside of both, both uh, Godwin, Chris Godwin and, and Mike Evans went to the Pro Bowl last year. That's the first time the Bucks have ever had a tandem of wide receivers go to the Pro Bowl. In fact, we don't go to the Pro Bowl very often, but uh, those two did after, uh, you know, uh, phenomenal seasons. Uh, Godwin had 1,300 yards receiving. Uh, Evans had uh, 1,100 yards receiving. Uh, it, it, the, the weapons are... That may be a reason why Tom Brady says, I want to play for the Bucs. i got a lot of weapons now. Yeah, and uh, let's not forget the ground game. Ronald Jones gets 113 yards on the ground, a couple of touchdowns. You can't minimize the effect of a good ground game and its impact on the passing game. Well, for Tom Brady, who has, has lived, lived with a play-action uh, uh, passing game his entire career, you've got to establish that ground game. And, you know, Bruce Arians... Uh, in, in, in preparation for this season, the, uh, the, the limited camp that we had, uh, he, he from, uh, like day one, day two, said, Ronald Jones, the second, is my running back. And a lot of folks looked at and said, wait a minute now, he's, this is his third year in the league. He hasn't had an impact since he's been here. But uh, Bruce Arians has been around the game of football a long time. And the head coach said, this is my guy. And he certainly has proved that three consecutive 100-yard rushing games, Howard. And, and that, that certainly helps Tom set up that play action. And, and, he, and you watch the touchdown passes, almost every one of his touchdown passes come off play action. Let me ask you about the other side of the ball because, I mean, here's Packers are up 10 nothing, And then a pick six that, that uh, Aaron Rodgers throws uh, to uh, Jamel Dean. Uh, and that all of a sudden changed everything quite a bit. Let's, uh, uh, if Aaron Rodgers, you know how you always say that the sheep, you, you have dreams of sheep jumping over the fence as you try to get some sleep. I'm, Aaron Rodgers is probably thinking about Levante David, and he, he was in his face all day 
I mean, a sack and a half, uh, six solo tackles. He was brilliant. Well, what 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 the the, the, the National Football League fan that, that, that watches a lot of football is having a chance to see. Uh, the Bucks will play in five primetime games this year, and they're going to get a chance to see number fifty-four do his thing. Uh, he is the Rodney Dangerfield, the Rodney Dangerfield of NFL linebackers. He gets absolutely no respect, but opposing coaches know you better have something planned to protect your quarterback or your running back from that guy on the other side by the name of Levante David. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a shame. Had uh, the Bucks been a little bit better over the years of his career, he'd have probably been to a handful of Pro Bowls by now. But the guy, the guy is making tackles and making splash plays at a level the Bucks have not seen since the great Derek Brooks played linebacker for the Bucks, and uh, he's in the Hall of Fame. Well, I, I look at this uh, Bucks team, and I think about the great history of Tampa Bay, but they haven't been to the playoffs, I guess, since two thousand and seven. And their last playoff win was in 2002 when you had that great Bucks team that won a Super Bowl with John Gruden as the coach. But in their history, uh, the only time that they won more than one playoff game was that 2002 team. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you go back to, you know, 1979, the Bucks made it to the uh, NFC Championship game, but we only had to win one game that we lost uh, in the championship game. We were inches away. From going to a Super Bowl back in '79, uh, almost our fifth year uh, in existence, but then it took a long, long time before uh, uh, Tony Dungy built a football team that could contend with anybody. And then John came in and gave us the spark. We counted the rock, uh, scored a half dozen, maybe more, of defensive touchdowns, and uh, uh, beat a, an Oakland Raider team in the Super Bowl in San Diego. That was a tremendous year. You're right. Uh, I think uh, we have the second longest drought as far as playoffs. Uh, Cleveland is the only team that has gone longer without making the playoffs. And I like our chances uh, better than Cleveland's this year to, to get back to that playoff. But once you get, Howard, once you get in the playoffs, uh, you, you play good football, you get a chance to win it all. You just have to get into the dance, so to speak, and, uh, and, and have a chance. And, and uh, right now the Bucks are playing at a playoff level now that we continue. Uh, who knows? We play Las Vegas in Las Vegas. Uh, it, it, John Gruden, our former coach, is their head coach. I'll guarantee you he's got a fired up three-game talk for his, his football team. And then, you know, we've got Kansas City down the road. I'm not minimizing any team on the schedule. We still have to play in New Orleans. That's our next home game, November the 8th. Uh, I, I think that's a Monday night game. But uh, we still have to play the three-time defending uh, NFC South Division winners, and that's New Orleans. We've got to play the defending Super Bowl champion. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs and uh, yeah, in the NFL, I mean, it's every Sunday. It's a brand new season every Sunday. Yeah, let me go back to uh, to Las Vegas. Uh, I don't know if I, the reports are accurate, but they indicated that if not the entire offensive line of Las Vegas has not practiced very much this week. What are you hearing? Well, no, I haven't. I haven't heard that, uh, Howard. To be honest with you, uh, uh, I get the media, you know, media. Uh, Guides for each each game, and I've been working on that. I, I just finished uh, put put the uh, put, put the final button on the uh, uh, Florida State at Louisville game. Uh, I took care of an interview earlier this morning for the head coach, and that's my last thing for the college game. And I, I began working on uh, the, the Raiders uh, Buccaneers game uh, yesterday, and uh, I did the depth charts last night. And uh, I have not heard that, to be honest with you. I I, I, I know that there's you know last week the NFL announced that. that Uh, but but 
I have not heard that. And I don't know if it's COVID related or it's injury related or what. I know they lost Richie Incognito, uh, four-time Pro Bowl offensive line gunner. He's a, he's on the injured reserve list. But uh, I had not heard that about the entire offensive line. I, I, I've not heard that. All right, so you can you can find that out on your own time. Uh, one final thing: uh, when Brady came to Tampa Bay. Uh, I asked, maybe I asked you this, uh, who would have more pressure on him, Tom Brady to win in Tampa Bay or Bill Belichick to win without Tom Brady? You look at the two franchises right now, the Bucks are 4-2, and two, New England's 2-3. and three. Uh, I, I don't know if that I equate Brady not there, uh, but having said that, uh, how has Brady's impact with the Buccaneers' his arrival, uh, I imagine it's gone off very large with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers fans and for the whole town. Well, Howard, it is. And, and, and every time I've asked that question, and I, 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 I say this in, in, in all sincerity, I mean, the, the, the pandemic that we're uh, struggling to get through and, and hopefully we're around the corner and, and, and see daylight at the end uh, and get, get through this thing. It may take another six months. It may take another, who knows? And, and there are a lot of families that are struggling economically because they don't have a job or can't get to the job because of this pandemic. Uh, it, it's a sad state. But uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have the greatest of all-time quarterback. Uh, we're playing a winning brand of football, and uh, we can only have about six or 7,000 fans in that stadium, social distancing, wearing masks. Uh, the, the entire town, the entire Tampa Bay area, uh, uh, the place would be packed and sold out. There'd be more Buccaneer fans than the other uh, fans in the stadium. But unfortunately, we're playing by the rules. We're trying to keep everybody as healthy as possible. I'm trying to stay healthy. You're trying to stay healthy. So uh, we'll, we'll have to we'll, uh, watch and listen to the Tom Brady era begin. He's got a two-year contract. And uh, I like what I'm seeing. This team is playing at a high level of football right now. Yeah, and there's no question. they got to be in the conversation about teams you better pay attention to and better be well-prepared for because it's not just the offense and defenses we've outlined already. They've got some playmakers, so this is a team that you better be ready for. Otherwise, look what happened to Green Bay last week. No one saw that coming. Yeah, no, no. That's, uh, like I say, that's as close to a perfect game as I have ever seen in in, in my lifetime. And uh, and I've been covering the Buccaneers for 32 years. Uh, So uh, I, I know we had a couple of shutouts. Uh, we shut out Chicago once, 41 to nothing, but I'll promise you if we surrendered the sack and had a penalty or two, <laughs> maybe not a turnover in that ballgame, but uh, got 38 points uh, uh, unanswered, was the, the, the most points unanswered, second most points to that Chicago 41 to nothing shutout back uh, uh, earlier this, uh, this century, I guess I should say. Yeah, I, when I think of Tampa Bay, I think of the great John McKay, who was the first coach, and his famous line of when somebody asked him about his team's execution, he said he was all for it. Uh, and then uh, some years later, I'm doing a Sunday night game for CBS Radio with Pat Hayden, and we get there a day before the game, and Pat, uh, his college classmate, was Rich McKay. So they set up a golf date for us to play with, with uh, John McKay and myself and Rich and, and Pat. Gene, I'm telling you, that was four hours. I don't remember a thing. I don't remember what I did that day golf-wise. Because all I was doing was laughing at, at the old man. He was killing me. <laughs> <laughs> That's John McKay. And, uh, you know, and, uh, I, I think Mr. Culverhouse had to break the bank to get John to leave Southern Cal. He'd been offered the, uh, he'd been offered the job many times, I'm told. And I had, I had one chance to visit. I stood side by side with with John McKay at a practice, uh, uh, the old practice facility at the University of South Florida, or excuse me, the University of Tampa. And uh, I spent about 15 minutes alongside 
Uh, he didn't say a whole lot, and I didn't ask a whole lot, but it was a tremendous experience. His son, Rich McKay, uh, we, we spent a lot more time together when he was the general manager of the Buccaneers, now the, the president and the interim general manager of the Atlanta Falcons. But uh, I know his dad through Rich, and over many, many, many dinners with uh, Rich McKay, we would always talk about, uh, Rich would talk about his dad, what it was like being a, a, a young a young man growing up and, and going to a Southern Cal game and being in the locker room with his dad. Would, his, he, he, it's an interesting story about John McKay. He really didn't give a pep talk, uh, Rich, Rich. Now, he may have, you know, Rich wasn't there. I, I can't speak for that. But he said what he would do and the team would wait until he would, and he would announce the starting lineup for the game. And so you had to earn your way into that starting lineup every single week. And when he would read your name and list the 22 that were going to start offensive defense, then you'd hear the roar and the team was ready to knock down the door and get out of the football field. <laughs> but I, I thought that was an interesting way to motivate football players. Wow. He was one of the legends of the game, no question about it, as are you. I appreciate your time, Gene. <laughs> Thanks very much for giving Touchdown me your time. Tampa Bay, I've said it over a thousand times. Now I've uh, touched down Florida State about 2,100 16 times, so uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know about legendary, but by God, I've been doing, doing it a long time. Well, you stay safe, my friend. Thank you. All right, Howard. Good talking to you as always. Same here. He is Gene Deckerhoff. Outstanding play-by-play voice of not only the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but the Florida State Seminoles. Yeah, he's been around the block a long time, and he's been there since the inception of the Bucks in 1979. Right? That's 41 years ago. Doing it a long time. And to juggle those two balls in the air with a major college team and an NFL team. All the credit goes to Gene Deckerhoff and a lot of other broadcasters around the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, Major League Baseball. And oh, by the way, in closing, I made a mistake yesterday. I said the Dodgers are going to win the World Series in four straight. Tampa Bay must have heard me. Because they came out smoking last night. They beat the Dodgers 6-4. to four. Series is now even at 1. I still say the Dodgers are winning it all because I think they're the more talented team. And usually talent wins. But I now have a question mark about the Dodgers starting pitching after Kershaw. We'll see how it all shakes out. You folks stay safe. Thanks for being a part of Howard David Live. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.